Hello, everybody, and welcome to Two Chairs No Waiting, episode number 708. We want a ghost story. Two Chairs No Waiting is brought to you each week by the folks over at Weaver's Department Store. What kind of scary items can you find over there? Perhaps the old man rimshaw print that the eyes follow you around. Or maybe you want to check out the any old tramps down there prints. The Barney looking through the attic of the rimshaw place or maybe down in the basement. Head over to Weaver's Department Store and check it out. Two Chairs No Waiting is also brought to you by donations from listeners just like you. The executive producer of episode number 708 is Brian Rose. Brian Rose from over at the Mayberry Devotional Podcast. Go and check it out. Over at twochairsnowaiting.com. <laughs> Well, folks, it's that scary time of year when we want to hear a ghost story singing around the campfire. We think about the episodes of the Andy Griffith Show, like the Haunted House, where those eyes of the rimshaw print follow you around. Or maybe you think about Back to Nature, when Andy and Barney and Gomer took the boys out camping. And sitting around the campfire, they all wanted to hear a ghost story. So, since it's that time of year, turn off the lights. Look around in the dark. Make sure you're alone. And let's enjoy. A little ghost story around the campfire. Well, I don't, I don't know if your parents would want me to. We want a ghost story. 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 We he was staying in a hotel for a weekend. And on his way to his room, he noticed a closed door that didn't have a number on it. When he asked about it at the front desk, he was told that no one's allowed in that room. Well, as the next day came along and went by, his curiosity just, curiosity just kept getting to him. So that night, as he was walking toward his room, he kind of stopped and looked at the door and kind of bent down and looked through the keyhole. And what he saw was just a normal hotel room inside with this very pale woman that was laying there on the bed. She's real pale. Her skin was real pale. He didn't think much about it. So he, he went on his way and went to his room and slept the night and you know, didn't think much about it. But the next night, as he was walking back by that room, heading back to his room for the evening, he was just too curious. So he stopped and bent down, 
put his eye up to that keyhole and looked in. This time all he could see was just red. He wiggled around looking in there. It was just red. Everything in it was red. Huh. Well, he stood on back up and walked back and went to his room. He just kept thinking about that. He said, what? What happened in that room? So he walked down to the front desk. And he went up to the lady there and said, you know, what about that room? There's, you know, there's, there's no number on the door. And, well, it's just confused me. I, I got to know what happened. Well, she said, well, we don't like to tell people. But you see, a woman was murdered in that room a few years ago. Yeah. She was an albino woman. Real white skin. Yeah, she was white. I mean, everything was white. Her hair, everything was white. Everything, except she had red eyes. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh. So that was his eye, the eyes. Mm. Well, let's see. Maybe you don't like stories about city stuff, so I'll tell you a story. Did you grow up out in the country like I did? He was always walking through the woods and walking through cornfields and all that kind of stuff, but usually. That was in the daytime. Yeah, it's just something about a cornfield. It just didn't want to walk through. Well, there's times, you know, when you got to walk home, you got to go down the dirt road and go down to the corner and then turn and go back down. If you just cut through this cornfield, it sure would be a lot quicker. Here's a little story about that. The shortcut through the cornfield tempts you as you're walking home. The clouds keep the moon concealed as you enter the swaying corn alone. Corn grows tall and thick, my friend. The path you choose is muddy. It grows in rows with scopes and end. And in the dark you hurry. You don't see the standing forms as you pass them on your way. They stand still among the swaying corn which hides their parlor and decay. Hundreds gather in the field at night though you see none at all. Yet still, you look around in fright, but the corn grows too thick and tall. You tell yourself as you continue through, it's merely the rustling of the leaves, but they see you and they hear you. And they might not let you leave. Mm.
We've talked about the golden arm in the past. And he always told that around the campfire like this. I found a new story to tell you. This story is about Bill Morgan and Tom Edwards. You know, they sat around nursing their umpteenth beers at Fat Daddy's Saloon. There's a loud, smoke-filled, neon-lit honky-tonk in the foothills of the North Georgia mountains. Fat Daddy's has always been their bar of choice. On weekends, they always went there. But ever since Bill and Tom had lost their jobs at the bottling plant, well, they were there almost every night drinking away the last dollars that they had. If you hung out at Fat Daddy's long enough, the same things would happen every night, like clockwork. The phone behind the bar would ring at precisely 7 o'clock as Miss Floyd would call, making sure her husband hadn't snuck over there after work. At 8.30, little Jake would lose yet another round of pool to Mike, the mouth, Kelby, and he'd hear about it the rest of the night. At 9.30, someone would play Whiskey River on the beat-up old jukebox. At 10 o'clock, sitting alone at the end of the bar, Chief B.S. would tell his tired hotel of the gold of Swanee Mountain to anyone who would listen. Now, some of you young folks may not know what B.S. means, but for you older folks, you surely do. Bill gave the chief that name because he got tired of hearing the same old stories coming out of his mouth. The chief was an old Cherokee with long gray hair, wrinkled, leathery skin, piercing eyes, and a beaten up old hat with some kind of turkey feather sticking out of the brim. His ancestors... Well, they had lived and hunted in those North Georgia mountains long before the white man arrived. And he knew those mountains so well that he could hike through them blindfolded if he had to. That didn't matter much to the good old boys there at Fat Daddy's who considered the chief a weird outsider. But maybe it was their dire employment situation that led Bill and Tom to suddenly pay attention to the chief as he told his story to yet another unsuspecting drunk. He always started his tale by telling about the trail of tears and how Chief Swanee, one of the most respected Cherokee leaders in Georgia, refused to go. Instead, Chief Swanee he hid in those North Georgia mountains with his loyal braves, and when he died, he was buried in the mountains, which now bear his name. According to the story, he was also buried with a large stash of gold coins, which remains buried with him today. This was part of the story where everyone in the bar would laugh at the old man and tell him he was nuts. That's true, the chief would insist. 
The gold is buried with Chief Shwani, deep in the Shwani Mountain, but it's protected by a spirit. I can tell you how to get there, but I never go there myself. I don't need gold bad enough to have a ghost hounding me for the rest of my life. Well, maybe the chief didn't want the gold that badly, but Bill Morgan certainly did. He moved two bar stools down toward the old man and said, Tell you what, chief, you draw me a map, and I'll go up there and get that gold, and I'll even give you a cut of it. Tom, he looked at his friend in disbelief, said, I ain't going bushwhacking up there in the wild goose chase. Well, Bill put his arm markingly around the chief and grinned a big phony grin. It ain't no wild goose chase, is it, chief? That gold's up there and we're going to get it. Well, the chief took a long, complicated swig of his beer. Then he stared at Bill with his big, piercing eyes. You two church-going men, he asked. What difference does that make, asked Bill with a chuckle. Like I said, the gold is protected by Chief Swanee's spirit. The old Cherokee answered him. If you go in there, you got to go in there with a pure heart. So a church-going man will stand a better chance with the spirit than a sinful one. Well, Bill, he rolled his eyes and grabbed one of the bar napkins and said, Yeah, whatever. Draw us a map on this napkin, and we'll go up there and see if your story's true or not. Then, winking at his friend Tom, he whispered, If Chief B.S. is right, we're going to be rich this time tomorrow. Besides, what have we got to lose? Well, after the chief had drawn on that napkin, he drew a map. Well, Tom followed Bill as he staggered out of the bar. Bill tossed his keys to Tom and said, You drive. I'll show you where to go. You can't be serious, Tom answered. Come on, you're drunk. There ain't no gold up there. Sides, it's dark out. But Bill wouldn't be swayed. He said, come on, I need your help. We'll just take a quick look, I promise. Now, Tom, he knew he had done plenty of stupid things himself after one too many beers. And his friend Bill had always been there to bail him out of any kind of trouble he had. So with a heavy sigh, Tom grabbed a couple of flashlights from the back of his truck and said, All right, which way do we go? For hours, it seemed, Tom drove Bill's truck up a curvy two-lane road that led to the highest elevations there in North Georgia. The lights from town, they disappeared, and soon they were enveloped in darkness. 
alone on the road with only the intensely bright stars above keeping them company. In fact, Tom had never seen so many stars, so beautiful and bright. Or perhaps he'd just always been too busy to notice them. Maybe those Cherokees back then didn't have it so bad after all, he thought to himself. There it is, Bill suddenly screamed. Tom slammed on the brakes and looked where Bill was pointing. And on the side of the road stood a wooden, unoccupied lean-to with a big black pot inside. A crudely painted sign nailed to a tree above it said, Boiled peanuts, one dollar. <laughs> Tom rolled his eyes. These tourist traps were a dime a dozen up in the hills, especially in the fall when the leaf watchers drove up into, with their shiny SUVs from Atlanta. Tom looked at the map scrawled on Bill's napkin. Indeed, the chief had drawn the peanut stand with a long dotted line behind it indicating a dirt road. Well, Tom turned onto that dirt road behind the peanut stand and plunged into the deep, dark forest. For several miles, the dirt road was surprisingly in good shape. But then all of a sudden, it got worse. With Tom tr struck, was rocking violently from side to side in the deep ruts. Thick clouds of dust banketed Tom's headlights, obscuring what little of the road he could see. It was obvious that no one had been down this old hunting road in years. Well, Tom was just about to turn around when the road suddenly dead-ended into a thick, impenetrable wall of old-growth trees. Well, Bill, he looked at that map, clutched in his sweaty hands, and grinned, said, We're here. Where's here, Tom thought to himself as they exited the truck. The woods surrounded them. They were pitch black and silent, save for loud crickets. They seemed to be everywhere. Well, Tom, he followed Bill as, as he plunged into that old growth forest, the trees wider and taller than anything he'd ever seen before. The ground rose up steeply before them, and all the beer Tom had consumed that night quickly perspired from his body. He was now totally sober, wondering what in the world was he doing out here. Panning and exhausted, Tom rested against a tree. After a few minutes passed, he noticed that Bill's flashlight beam had disappeared. He called out Bill's name, but only the crickets answered him. Bill? He called again. There's still no answer. Now worried, Tom cried out as loud as he could, Bill! Bill's faint voice, it drifted back from somewhere in the darkness. Hey, man, I'm over here. Look over. Ah! 
Let's see, Tom, he ran frantically in the direction of Bill's scream. His flashlight beam bouncing off the ominous trees. He screamed his friend's name over and over. But only the mocking crickets talked back. Then his flashlight beam crud across this small cloud of dust floating in the distance. He ran over in that direction only to suddenly freeze in his tracks, his eyes widening. A few inches from his feet was a yawning black hole leading straight down into the black, uncharted darkness. Tom, you up there? screamed Bill hoarsely from somewhere in the dark depths. Tom pointed his flashlight down into that hole, revealing a rocky pit nearly 50 feet deep. Bill looked up at him from the bottom, bleeding gash right there on his face. But he was standing. He then gave Tom this boyish grin and said, Look what I found. Well, Bill turned on his light and Tom could see that he was standing in some sort of a cavern entrance with numerous holes in the wall leading to God knows where. But in the dancing beams, he could also see eerie paintings on the wall, pictures of the universe, of animals, of warrior figures, strange tribal masks. On the ground beside Bill's feet, Tom swore he saw a human skull buried below the red clay. But it was what he saw next that made his jaw drop. Sparkling in Bill's flashlight beam was a dirty burlap sack filled with gold coins. Bill looked up at Tom and grinned. What do you know, he said. That engine was right. Well, they wasted no time hauling that bag of gold out of that pit and running it back through the woods. Bill had sprained his ankle slightly in the fall, but that didn't stop him from making a beeline toward that truck. And as they roared back to town, they whooped and hollered. They yelled out the windows. Listing all the things that gold was going to buy them. Sports cars, motorcycles, beach houses, beautiful ladies. But they agreed that the first thing they would do is march right back into that bottling plant and tell their old bosses to, well, you can imagine what they might have told them. Several days passed after their discovery. And Tom became concerned that he hadn't heard anything from Bill. So Tom's phone calls to Bill went unanswered, and nobody at Fat Daddy's had seen him, which was unusual. Had Bill left town with his share of the gold? So one day, Tom drove over to Bill's place to check on him. Bill lived in an old trailer home as a you know, it was a barren, overgrown family farmland several miles out of town where it sat. 
he saw Bill's truck in the driveway and he went up to the door and knocked, but there's no answer. He tried the doorknob and was surprised when the door suddenly creaked open. Tom's stomach turned when he was greeted by this awful smell. Worse than any barn or latrine he had ever run across. Covering his nose and his mouth, he walked in cautiously into that trailer. He noticed a light burning in Bill's bedroom. He walked over the door and he peeked inside. Oh. What he saw next froze his blood. There was Bill, laying on his soil bed, horrifyingly thin, his eyes bulging out of his pale, skeletal face. Tom could see Bill's exposed rib cage underneath his filthy shirt, heaving up and down with each pained breath. What happened to you? Tom blurted out. But Bill, he didn't answer. Can you hear me? Tom asked again. Bill didn't answer, but instead he rolled his eyes as if directing Tom towards his bedside. Tom moved over toward him. He leaned down close to Bill's face and a painful, hoarse whisper that took every ounce of his strength, Bill said, He won't let me get up. Tom grabbed Bill's arm, but it wouldn't move, as if it were super glued to the bed. He, He tried his other arm and his legs, but they still, they wouldn't budge. Tom knew that Bill was too frail to resist him. Something else was holding Bill to that bed. Something powerful and invisible. Tom lunged for the phone to call for help, but it but it was dead. The phone was dead. Frantic, he ran into the kitchen, heated up a bowl of canned soup, and then brought it back to Bill's bedside with a glass of water. But Bill sped up everything Tom tried to feed him. His eyes deliriously rolling back in his head. As Tom watched his friend suffer, his mind suddenly crossed that line between the real and the surreal. That moment when you finally realize you don't really know everything about how this world operates and anything is possible. So without thinking, Tom grabbed Bill's share of Chief Schwanee's gold, still sitting in that burlap sack in his closet, And then he rushed home, grabbed his own share, and sped back up to the hills, past the boiled peanut stand, down the old hunting road, through the creepy old growth forest, up to the edge of that deep pit. And with tears in his eyes, he called out to the skeletal remains below. And he said, I'm giving you back your gold, Chief Swanee. I don't need it, and I'm sorry I took it. I'll never bother you again. Just please let my friend go, please. He's my only friend in the world. And that's the only thing that matters to me, I swear. And with those words, he tossed those bags of gold coins back into that pit. Then using his bare hands, he shoveled dirt 
and branches and rocks and anything he could find over that hole. So no one else would ever find it. Then he bolted back to his truck and sped towards town. Tom knew he had to find a phone fast. And the closest one was at Fat Daddy's, a few miles away. The sun was quickly setting over the hills, and he knew that Bill didn't have much time. Tom knew he'd get strange looks wandering into the bar with filthy clothes and cut, bleeding hands. But he'd find a way to explain it later. When Tom finally roared into Fat Daddy's parking lot around 10 o'clock, he was surprised to find it empty. The lot was usually full on a Saturday night. Maybe they closed early, Tom thought fearfully. Well, Tom was relieved to find that the door was unlocked, and he ran inside and found it dark and empty. He ran behind the bar and grabbed the phone and dialed Bill's sister in a neighboring town. She picked up his cell phone after one ring. Bill's been rushed to the hospital, she said in a panicked voice. He called me a few hours ago and said he couldn't get out of bed. The doctor said he's lucky to be alive. Now I'm trying to get Mom on the phone. He looked awful, Tom. What happened to him? Do you know? Tom, he couldn't answer. But the news of Bill's condition... condition but it sent waves of relief through him. He assured her that he would head straight to the hospital when he hung up the phone. You've been up to Chief Swanee's cave, haven't you? A sudden voice from the darkness said. Tom nearly leaped out of his skin. Sitting at the bar was old Chief B.S. nursing a beer. What do you know about it? was all Tom could say. Well, the chief took a long, contemplative swig of beer, stared at Tom with his piercing eyes. He said in a voice that seemed deeper and older than the one that Tom had heard so often. That gold is going to do me no good. You're welcome to it. But I told you to accept it with a good heart. That's all I ask. Now use it that way, or I'll come back to see you again. With that, the chief polished off his beer and strolled leisurely out the door. Tom looked at the chief's bar stool. And sitting there was the dirty burlap sacks of gold that Tom had thrown into that pit earlier. Tom could barely believe his eyes. He then charged out of the door to find the chief, but only the stiff evening breeze rolling off the North Georgia mountains greeted him. The chief had vanished into the night. In the years that followed, as Tom and Bill, they both married and finally settled down, Chief B.S. 
or Chief Swanee, as they called him to anyone who would listen to their crazy story. He was never seen in those parts again. So I hope you enjoyed that story. Heard that story from fellas uh, Craig and Lanny. Or were their names Bill and Tom? Guess we won't ever know. Sleep well, my friends. Until next time. story's been around for over 200 years, and tonight we're going to hear yet another version of Who Stole My Golden Arm, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. So sit back. If there's children in the house, you may want to move them around or sit close to them and let them hold on to you as we hear Who Stole My Golden Arm. Once upon a time, there was a very, very rich man. He lived in a great big house on top of a misty mountain. He was so rich that people would travel up the winding road that led up to his house and ask him to do favors for him. Maybe donate some money. Children would go up there to his door and they try to peddle their cookies and candy bars and magazine subscriptions for school. But even more often, parents would arrive with their daughters in tow, knowing that this rich man was not married. They hoped he'd fall helplessly in love with their daughters. He turned away the children and That was despite all the wonderful goodies they had to offer. Likewise, he turned away all the fair women, many of which were young and beautiful. He turned them all away because he believed that no one was really interested in him, that all they really were interested in was his money and his big house on the hill. One day, a woman arrived at his door. She wasn't looking for money or for love. She simply needed some directions. 
He was suspicious, but after listening to her tales of getting lost, he found himself most captivated by her arm. It was her golden arm. He invited her in for tea, and she must have been very thirsty after such a long and lost travels. He would give her the direction she needed, and curiosity got the best of him, and he wanted to know more about the golden arm of hers. So over a glass of tea, she told him how she had been born the daughter of the richest man in the land, a man even richer than himself, and how she had been in a terrible horseback riding accident as a little girl and riding the horse that her father had given her and her father felt terrible. When she lost her arm, she cried and cried and cried. Who would ever fall in love with a one-armed girl? How would she ever attend to a home and to a husband and to a child with only one arm? Her tears of pain and loss only made her father's guilt grow. So, when she was a young lady, her father gave her a gift of the golden arm. It was made of the finest gold in the world and made to look exactly like her arm, but of solid gold. Her father told her that no one, no thing, no accidents, no horses could ever take that arm away from her. It was her golden arm. Entertained by her tale of the golden arm, the man gave her directions that she needed, then invited her back for tea the next day. Day after day, they enjoyed afternoon tea together, and eventually they married. He thought no man was as fortunate as blessed and as lucky as he. Then suddenly, one day, his wife died. So, not long after his beloved wife had been buried, he grabbed a shovel Because he had realized that while he was saddened and he did love his wife, he knew he loved her golden arm more than he ever loved her. She had been buried with that golden arm. So after A while after she had been buried, he grabbed that shovel 
and made his way to her gravesite. Of his beloved wife, he began to dig. With each dig of the shovel into the dirt that covered his wife's grave, he thought to himself, Oh, that golden arm. I must have that golden arm. I'm going to get that golden arm. He dug, and he dug. And eventually, he found her and her golden arm. Covered in dirt, her her face was so pale. In the moonlight, her lips were ashy. Oh, but that golden arm, it glistened and it shined. It was so bright and still so beautiful. He reached in and grabbed it out. And he quickly began to cover his dead wife with the fresh dirt that he had piled up. All the while, he was thinking to himself, (laughs) I have the golden arm. I've got it. I finally got the golden arm. He covered the grave with the dirt so it looked like it had never been dug up to begin with. Made it look just like nothing had happened. grabbed that golden arm and he ran through the cemetery and through the woods and up the dark hillside through the fog back to his great big house he took that golden arm and hid it in a secret safe a safe that no one else had ever known about not even his beloved wife after all his hard work digging in his wild uphill running through the fog he found himself exhausted he sat down in his chair the chair he always sat in in the afternoon, right after tea, and he fell asleep. But he awoke to some kind of a sound. Who's come on a golden arm? The old man, he was startled by the ghostly vision of his dead wife standing right before him. Who's got my golden Her skin was so pale. He was terrified. Who's got my golden Her ruby lips 
were ashen and gray. Could it really be her? Who's got my golden arm? Her hair is all clumped with fresh dirt. Could she be alive? Got my golden arm. <laughs> oh, and that's the story of a golden arm. Mm. I hope you enjoyed that story. Always fun to tell. Feel free to share it with somebody else. Maybe even tell it around the campfire. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to keep Barney and Gomer awake all night. But is it going to keep you? <laughs> I hope not. We'll see you next time on Two Chairs No Waiting. If you can make it there. <laughs>